Welcome to In Light of the Gospel, episode 23. I had the pleasure and great privilege of speaking to Henry Wall today. Many people know him as the Spanish preacher. He spent many years preaching the gospel here to Spanish-speaking people in Ontario. And then 14 years ago, he was called to preach and teach in um, Veracruz, Mexico. He's been living there on and off and has established several churches and is preaching there still to this day in his early 70s, preaching five and six times a week on average. So he's still passionate, he's still excited. And in today's episode, we talk about how he was raised, uh, a very meager upbringing in Durango, Mexico, and then how he was drastically converted under extreme circumstances, given up as completely lost and without hope by the old colony ministers. And then God spoke to him miraculously and saved him and turned him into a preacher. Uh, it's exciting to me to see that someone could still be passionate after serving God for so many, so many years, still have no desire to retire or to quit, and to still want to preach the gospel for another 50, 60, 70 years if he could. So I hope you are really blessed by this story, and I hope you share it with people all around. I know many people that could, could benefit from this. Many German-speaking people, Mennonite people in Mexico, Belize, Paraguay, uh, all over the place, Bolivia, and also many Spanish-speaking people. So I do appreciate you tuning in, and I appreciate the help that you have been to me by sharing these videos far and wide. So thanks again, and God bless you. When I first uh, got saved, probably now 19, 18 years ago, yeah. one, of the, one of the first things I was invited to was uh, to GFC in St. Thomas at a breakfast, yeah. uh -huh. and you shared your testimony there. Seriously? Yeah. And I remember so clearly, you. I remember especially when you talked about this airplane that had flown over oh, yeah, when you yeah. were a kid, and you just thought, what, what is happening? End yeah. of the world or something. End right? of the world, yeah. Well, that's what we thought there was going to be. Signs in heaven and then the animals going to be there. And you didn't know about airplanes? No, and, and we had never seen an airplane. So yeah, it was wonders in heaven for sure. So where, where was it that you grew up then in Mexico? No, the El Durango. Okay. Yeah, yeah. You're probably, have, you're probably not familiar with El Durango. Not very. I know yeah. some people now that live in, um, what's that little town close to Durango? Puatas. Yeah, that's the same yeah. thing. Okay. It's the same thing with just Portis. Yeah, it, 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 it's a translation, Mennonite translation for Patos. Okay. Patos means docks. Oh, and really? the, the, the train station, where the train station was, it was kind of a puddle way there, and there was always docks. And that's what the, the way that train station was called Patos. But later, when the town developed, it was called Novoidial. Okay. Yeah, so, but a lot of people still call it Portis. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's just a little Plotice. Like a nickname <laughs> So, this, when you grew up there, were you born there or no? I was born in that area, yeah. So, this was, you said you were early 70s. What year was that? 50, 40? That was 1950 when I was born. 50. Yeah. Okay, so my dad's born in 49, I believe. So, very so much yeah, the a little same. bit older, yeah. Yeah. And so you said, uh, how how dark was it living there? Oh, it, it is. It was. Uh, it was very very uh, dark. With you know, as you know, salvation uh, had to be earned by works, and and then it still was uh, questionable what our thoughts, our emotions. So we could have gotten you over the board to the other side. It was. 
it was very very religious and uh, yeah very little hope were you were you a good kid or did you obey your parents or? well I you know I always I always wanted to be a good kid yeah it, it was I wanted I wanted to be a, a good uh, neighbor and, and absolutely I was trying to get stay out of trouble which didn't work but but uh, I tried to be be a good kid and back then in that day there was obviously very little if any electricity and indoor none. plumbing nothing like that none, none not even generators that would produce electricity they were not allowed because anybody would have one of those and would use it at night time they would be excommunicated wow yeah no that was not allowed you had to have lamp these oil lamps and uh, some would have these kerosene lamps and they were a lot brighter but uh most of them just was just uh kerosene hmm. well then we just there was just a special oil for that but so what uh, what was uh, your childhood like then you, there was probably not no going to church for kids and stuff like that no no we, i grew we grew up very very poor my dad uh, i think is and then my in my testimony shared that right that the my dad was an alcoholic and anything that he could sell to buy booze he would sell and buy booze so we were very very poor we would there was days that we would uh, all we had to eat was one tortilla divided into three and that was our meal and sometimes three days in a, in a row like that i still remember when i have my first pair of shoes i was 11 years old wow. maybe 10 years old when i had my first pair of shoes and, and 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 of course i only wear them a little, very little i had blisters on my feet right away because <laughs> they're not used to but i had calluses under my feet i could run on I stones and, and anywhere and, and and it would i could have peakers that long and it wouldn't bother me hmm. but yeah i know we were my uh our shirts back then the, the feed the uh, cow pee feed would would come in in bags with uh, this kind of material probably a little bit and my mom would made us our shirts from from those kind of uh, really? uh, materials or she just this this white bags and she would dye them with dye and and of course that would wash out in short time and yeah. it would kind of fade it we were made of fun of a lot of times because so you, you were not everybody else lived like that oh no 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 not everybody else but because of my dad was such a yeah isn't that interesting that they would they would be so stern and strict about electricity and technology yeah. but at the same time somebody that's a drunkard and is not taking care of their family the church wouldn't really do anything about it no they would do some because I do remember my mom, they they would they would have in every colony they would have one house that was belonged to the to the group, and they would allow those to live in there without paying rent or anything, if they couldn't. So we lived in one of those houses. So a little bit of help was there okay. that way, but other than that, I do remember, and I'll, I'll I'll tell you the story. And I think a lot of times that it has struggled. I have struggled in my life with pride, false pride, of course, uh, and uh, and and there was uh, my mom was a little on the heavy side, and she would go down the street and 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 ask for food for us, like that we would have to eat, 
and kids would from from home scream, "There goes the pig!" begging for food for piglets, oh, yeah, yeah. and and that was that hurt so bad at that time. I mean, she was my mom. Yeah, she was poor. She maybe wasn't dressed the most properly. Me, maybe not even clean the most proper way because back when you have nothing, you can't take proper showers or whatever. And so, yeah, that, and it's still to this day that then I have a hard time receiving gifts or asking for help. I see. Because I think, and I think that trigger, I think kind of trigger it from there. That sounds like to me it's begging and I hear that echo, right? Don't want to be that again. <laughs> yeah. Don't ever want to go back there. No, right? no. Did you have a lot of brothers and sisters? I have, uh. I have uh, uh, from my mom and dad from the boat. There is uh, there is uh, five six. There we were six when we passed away, and uh, there is we are still five five left. Okay, because I know the the harder family. So like John and Susan Dyke, yeah. and uh, I knew the harder family well yeah. growing up, and I knew that you were their uncle. Yeah, and then also the Aggie Ham, that that family, right? They that was my wife's. From my wife's, from wife's side, side okay. uh, from the harder side. So that's where I heard about you. But what, when I often share my testimony about how I came to know the Lord, I it, it sometimes will start in grade nine. I was taking guitar class at uh, East Elgin School, uh, and I was sitting next to your son, Abe. Oh, really? And uh, Abe turned to me one morning uh, on a Monday, I think it was. The weekend had just been over, and he asked how the weekend was, and I told him what I had done. We went to church and all that, and he says, are you a Christian? And I said, I try to be. And he looked at me all confused. He said, what do you mean you try to be? I said, well, I I can't say that I am. I won't say that I am. If I say that I am, then I'm proud. Uh Because for me, it was if you said you were a Christian, if you said you were saved, then you were taking pride. You thought that you had gotten good enough. And he looked at me completely confused. He's like, you either believe the gospel or you don't. And I'm like, well, I said, uh, my mom had told me often that, uh, the, the the Christians were called Christians first in Ephesus, right? Yeah. So people called them Christians, uh-huh. but they didn't call themselves Christians. So that's oh, how she took that yeah, verse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I would say, I said, I can't say that I'm a Christian. If you call me a Christian, I'll accept it. But because uh-huh. it, it was all about my performance, yeah, it was yeah, about yeah. how good I was, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so you know, it, it's Cause... such a different way of growing up. But in Mexico, it would have been much more so yet, right? Where you have no understanding of the gospel, no. No clarity on uh, salvation, no, right? No, no, no. It is it is thought that uh, that you have to you have to be good enough to 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 make it to heaven, and you cannot you cannot know that for sure. That is uh, when you when you get to heaven, you'll find if you pass the door or where you'll be thrown yeah. out. <laughs> so tell us a little more about uh, growing up. Then after ten or eleven, you got some shoes and. What ta- what year? How old do you think you were when you saw that airplane? I was been seven years. Okay. Because I, in my testimony, I shared that 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 I think if you remember, there's uh, I stayed by the wall there and kept on crying, and mom come, would come back and and ask me why are you crying, and and and, and a little while ago, everybody was crying outside, and thinking this is the end of the world, and. Uh, no, it wasn't. No, we were going to just go off and just go keep, back to normal. Keep on living the back life. What about if, it, if the next hour it does happen then? And will we then do the same thing we're doing now? Yeah. And I was seven years old, and, 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 and I do very vividly remember I had a Spanish friend 
he didn't know any German, I didn't know any Spanish, but we were so close, we, we could communicate. We, 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 were, we were together, and I asked my mom if it was possible that he could, could become a Mennonite so that he could get to heaven too. Yeah. Right? That's what I thought you had to be. You had to be a Mennonite Schlobexen, and your overalls, and, 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 and that's, what, that's what's the only chance that there could be that Maybe. you could make it to heaven. Yeah. But yes, I was, yeah, I was, I was seven years. That what I was her answer then? It, well, she never did give me an answer. She just said everything was okay, come and eat. And so I did. I don't I, I don't know, maybe because of the same thing, my Herbert upgrown. Yeah. Uh, uh, if I tell him something else, he might get in trouble. He, so I, was, I probably was a little bit verbal since I was a little bit. But <laughs> it sounds to me like even then you already had a concern for people outside your own community, right? Yeah, absolutely. You know, right now when I look at where God has led, has led me in the later, later years, it was definitely already back then. But, but if you would have asked my family... Uh, and my growing up, if there anybody would be from our family would live in the Spanish circle, because my dad left us and he married a Spanish lady. Okay. And I have seven, eight brothers and sisters from half from that mom. Wow. They live all here in Almer area, and uh, and so yeah, uh, what I was going to say yeah the, this. Uh, then uh, yeah, I totally, I t- totally uh, can see now when I look back that there was a calling. But I, I was taught that they were the world, and you you should never have anything to do with them. And mm-hmm. so I tried to say I was twenty three years old when I started learning Spanish. I didn't know you didn't know any Spanish. Spanish. When we got married, I did not know enough Spanish to rent a motel. I see. No, no, I would have assumed that you would have grown up speaking Spanish. No, I didn't want to learn Spanish because. I want to be in good Mennonite. I see. Interesting. <laughs> so they were the Velt Mansion. They were the Velt Mansion, absolutely. Yeah. So the Mennonites are pretty racist, eh? They are very, very, very racist. Because, and we talked about it yesterday that that if there was Spanish people would come and come over, or even their workers, they would hire them to work for them and for the harvest and stuff like that. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> They were not allowed to come inside and eat. The food was brought to them. And if there was a beggar coming, they would not even uh, take him a plate with food to eat outside. They would bring him on just on with the hands, probably, or in a napkin if uh, there was something like that. And, but, uh, but they were like almost treated like uh, yeah. the dogs, yeah. Like a dog, yeah, yeah. It was, it was, in, uh, in, in. Uh, of course, then my dad being married to a Spanish lady. That always, you know, the the saying was a lot of times like like father, like son, right? Mm-hmm. We were labeled very much, or to a certain extent, uh, shunned a little bit, or feared in this in the way to say that people were kind of afraid to be around us because we would end up in the same place where my dad was. Right? I see. So there again, I, I think back to what I've heard about you or what Mennonites thought about you personally. Mm-hmm. And it almost seems like maybe God was preparing you from a young age to to be ex- okay with not being accepted. 
because most Mennonites around here just thought, oh, that's the Spanish Apegia. He's, yeah. he's way heavier shooting and, you know, don't yeah. listen to him yeah. kind of thing, right? And so you always have been a little bit shunned from Mennonite culture and people, right? Yeah, it, it was very, very familiar to me to to be be a little bit inferior and a little insecure and then and, and that and, and and so yeah it was uh it it was not a strange thing for me even in school when i went through school if something happened in school it didn't matter whether it was me or somebody else had done it it was always blamed on me right? and uh and i would get spanking sometimes up to three times a day in school i was getting spanking for something I didn't do it. And then I finally they decided I'm going to get spanked, so I might as well just do something. <laughs> <laughs> that, well, at least I felt like I yeah. deserved it. <laughs> yeah, there was got a little, not intentionally, but kind of getting, you know, careless a little bit of uh, mm-hmm. who cares. If, I'm going to get spanked anyway, so I won't, I'm not going to be careful anymore. So Yeah, yeah but but I, I always tease tease about this. I was so loved in first grade, with, and they, they call it FIBLA, right? Yeah. That they kept me there for three years. <laughs> <laughs> because I was, I was really good in memorizing, was really good in, in writing and math and all of that, but I was slow in reading. Okay. And for that reason, I, would, I had to stay. And then, and then uh, there was a lot of favoritism back then, and it was allowed to, the, the, the teachers would have their favorite kids and I was certainly not one of them, hmm. and so that was another reason why he would never come in and help me. If I would ask him for a question, uh, what does this mean or that mean? You know, like we we would read in high German, mm-hmm. speak low German. I had no clue what we were reading, and and for me it was reading something you don't understand. I just till this day I just don't take much of an interest in that. I see, <laughs> and so that was. Uh, that was a, a downfall in, in my, until a later, later year, at the age of 11, I, uh, uh, I had to start working full-time uh, at this preacher's place. They didn't have their own kids, uh, so they adapt, sort of wanted to adapt me, but uh, I was working there, I started working there at the age of 11, and then I would have to still go to school for one year. Because we had to go to school until twelve years old, okay. right? And so, they uh, uh, that teacher really took time with me, and then I did it. Within three months, I became his helper. I went up and then you could read better. Yeah, I could on. read better. Never uh, reading has never really been my strong point, but he didn't focus not necessarily on just that one point. Mm-hmm. He used an average, and and so yeah, and then. Uh, he was a really good teacher. I really, really uh, thank God for 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 him in my life. And 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 uh, uh, but living, living there at this preacher's place, us growing up so poor, we did we just go to the table and just grab our food and eat, right? Hmm. And these couple, they were very, very particular. You had to hold the knife right. You had to hold the the, the fork right. Shoe with your mouth closed and, and don't eat until everybody's here. Yeah, and and then just slowly and 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 you could never get into the house with the way you came from field. There had a they had a in front 
place where at lunchtime you just change clothes and come in neat, but at nighttime you had first take a shower and then at the end of the day take a shower and then come in. And you weren't used to I that. Was, come on. We were walking barefoot in Shower coats. once a week, you've done good, eh? Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And we were walking barefoot in cold manure. Yeah. And I mean, that was, and it was just so strange. I felt so, I could never, I, I just, I had a horrible time there. And I ran away from that. I had to work there for a year, three months. I was out of school by then. Then I escaped and I got a real good spanking. Mm. <laughs> so you actually live, were living with them? Yeah. Oh, had yeah. your dad left already? He had left when I was uh, probably six, seven. Oh. I, I do remember, I don't remember a lot, but I do remember that mom was standing outside. He walked to the laneway where, uh, to the street, towards the street. He was about halfway and yelled back that he was not, don't, she didn't have to worry about him anymore. He was never going to come back anymore to be there. And he did probably come back about twice or three times to, for some other reason, probably to see the kids or something. Hmm. But uh, but uh, but yeah, he was very violent. He when he was drinking, I think he would lose it, and just my mom. I found her about three times that I can remember that I thought she was dead, uh, unconscious, and and it was it, for us. It was when when he left, and and then I always uh, uh, want to be careful. People say I don't want to defame people, but when when a person is under that circumstances. They're bound, and, and I, I, I learned this to understand this later, that there was a different power behind him that would control him. Couldn't control himself. He couldn't anymore. control himself, and he later had an accident in his life where he almost died, and he called us all up, and, and he would explain that, that, that he had all the intention. He wanted to come and see us and bring us something. Then they saw this in... in, in uh, uh, this ability to bring us what or to give us what he wanted and so then the frustration in his life instead of giving us a hug or something he would just then beat us up or something oh, man. it was uh but but i i do and it took, took years for it to heal and to understand those kinds of behaviors you were able to eventually kind of forgive yeah oh yeah. absolutely yeah me and my father we reconciled when he had that bag accident and then I, I give them a hug and I told them I've forgiven him and and I went to see him later in his life a few times and but he would never accept and he didn't want to accept any gifts from me at that time we were I had already gotten married and we were very very well off I'm not rich but but very stable and so I he would sit there on his bench there no jacket just and uh, he had a little bit of a garage. And he'd sit there and shiver, and I, this guy came by, walking by there selling jackets, and I thought, I'm going to buy him a jacket. And he looked at me, and he said, you bought that jacket because he felt sorry for me, right? I said, well, I, in my ignorance, he said, yes. He took that jacket, threw it back at my face, and said, don't ever come here and give me anything because you felt sorry for me. I was responsible for you guys. Mm. And I, I don't want to need this extra guilt on my life. I've already been condemned day and night man, for not man. taking care of you. And I said, well, don't don't take it that way. Just, just. And then finally he came down and I said, well, 
if you want to give it to me because of, of a gift, then I will accept it. But don't ever. Don't feel sorry. Sorry for me. I did no. this to myself. I deserve it. Interesting. <laughs> yeah. So if you could kind of uh, tell the, a bit of that story again of how you came to the Lord. I remember you you became an alcoholic too, if I remember correctly. Yes, I did, yeah. I have we, 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 I never wanted to. I always, since I, the way I grew up, it, it was just that bad, bad picture. I grew up with uh, this good intention. I was going to be a good father, good husband. And... Uh, uh, Hitting a lady, I never since I was a kid. I, I always thought that that if they deserve a spanking, that's dad and mom's chore, not mine, not anybody else. And so I was with that uh, with that in picture in my mind the way I grew up. I, I wanted to be a good man, and and I think I was. I think I was. We got married. We, I had a couple of cows and horse and wagon. I had quite a bit of stuff because growing up as an orphan, my mom died when I was 14. Oh, man. And so all the money that I would make was uh, uh, was then mine. And of course, at the age of 15, uh, cancer came back on my throat. I had cancer since I was a little kid. There, uh, I don't remember that, but from what I was told later. And so then I had to go to the doctor and, and borrow some money. But from there on, I, I did well. They, they working gave, hard. Working hard. And then uh, the, the, where I was staying at that time, they gave me a calf and, and and that became a cow. And I would start milk, selling milk. So I had gathered up some money when I got when we got married. We had my and then my wife had two. And I had also a cow, a couple of cows. And so it didn't take very long. We bought a farm, 17 mm-hmm. hectares of land and and uh, we, we did very well in that, but I would all we lived outside of colony like you here in the farm type of mm-hmm. isolated and the youth would come over I was I was always I think I I got married way too young I should have stayed another five or six years in the youth because I was very youthful I loved the youth and I loved to hang out with youth I didn't want to hang out with my married man I, I wanted see. to hang with youth and so I would allow the youth to come to our place behind the colony they could bring their music, which was illegal to have, and then they would drink there, and 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 you could do it. I thought if you do it here, you're not getting trouble or yeah. getting somebody else in trouble out there in the colony. The right? And so I was, I was thinking I was helping them, and 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 I had some wonderful time with them. By this time, some of the kids came around, but then these 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 young people that would come over, they said, "Well, we don't want to come back here anymore." Because we drink here all the time, and you don't drink, and we feel uncomfortable. And and I thought, well, if that'll help you, I will just take a little bit of a drink, and very tiny bit. And and that was it. For a couple of years, probably did that. And and one day I felt like kind of I went to town, and I thought I've been drinking from these guys' stuff. I'm going to buy a bottle, and I'm going to I'm not going to drink it. I'm just going to give it to them. And so, uh, that I think that's where I gave the devil the hand. Really? From there on, it was very frequently that I would buy, and and then it became heavier and heavier and heavier, where I was totally dependent on it. I would drink every day at least a liter of tequila, that hardcore tequila, and sometimes another until 
I did that for three years, day and night. When I would, wasn't sleeping, I was drinking. And you yeah. can't think of why you would have felt a need to drink so much? Your life was good at that time. It was good, but, but my, my, my body became dependent on okay. it. I felt, I felt, uh, how do I say, I felt like shaky and, mm-hmm. and kind of uh, insecure, scared. And so then the drinking would and, calm you down. Yeah. And so I did that for, and I, most of my drinking I didn't do social. And bars, very little. Because a lot of it was isolated in my room, probably. And especially when I felt like I had a little bit too much, to, then I wanted to go by. And, and of course, when I, I never wanted my kids to see me drunk. And they couldn't. Even though, in my story, I tell that where I got cirrhosis and I would throw up blood up to eight liters of, at this, some days, not every day, but. There was days You're throwing out blood. Blood, yeah. It's been so long, I forget a lot of the yeah. details now. Of your yeah, story. and so, so then, uh, I I didn't want my kids to see it. I was locked them up in my room, and I wouldn't allow my kids to come in there. My wife would come in there, up to the point where I couldn't get up anymore, and and uh, I would still keep drinking until we we went to a doctor. To see if there was still a chance, and I did a lot of times. I went to a doctor to see if there was some sort of help for me to quit drinking, but there's just no magic. No there magic is just here. no, no. If if a, if a person is the only solution is Jesus Christ, Amen. there is just there is just no medication or witch doctors, and I tried all of it. Witch doctors. I, I didn't care what it was. I just wanted to quit drinking, and I could. So until. A, this point up then up to this point where we went to the doctor and and, and he sent me home. He said two weeks and that was it. You're gonna you, drink yourself to death. You you'll your liver is so far gone, you will live the maximum two you two weeks and that's it. I was excommunicated by then. Wow. And, and and of course having his luck for you and then and the way you were thinking you were brought up, right? Yeah. So you're going to hell? And, and in two weeks, you're, you're going to be in hell, right? And I, thought, and I thought my wife, by this time, she had to clean me and everything because I, was, I couldn't get up anymore. And you were like a young man, 25-ish? 30? Well, I would have been 29. 20. 29? It was, was a little bit after my birthday, 30th birthday, that I gave my heart to the Lord. Okay. Uh, and where uh, it changed. But <clears throat> yeah, it was at my wife's birthday. She was the, October 21st. She's born. Uh, she that that's her birthday, and mine was October seventeenth. So on her birthday, I gave my heart to the Lord, and and I'll call us the end of it. Mm. But uh, that was in that two week period, then. That was in that one week had passed away, okay. passed, and then we called the bishop, like the Alta stuff. Yeah, the Alta stuff. Yeah, to to one more try, to see, and then just. And we knew that there was a process of being taken away the excommunication. You were already excommunicated at this time? I was excommunicated. Because of the drinking? Well, part of the uh, drinking, a part of because I was driving truck quite a bit by this time. And different things come with drinking, right? Yeah. Adultery and other stuff. 
We didn't see that. So you felt like you were following in your dad's footsteps in a lot of ways. Well, absolutely, and they said it too. Yeah. People would continue saying that too, and then I thought, here I am, trapped in the same trap. And f afraid that your wife was going to end up like your mom, eh? Well, exactly. Well, I was never violent. I never, I never ever in my life did I ever hit my wife. I ver verbally would have. Even when you were drunk? No, I've never hit my wife. Never. No, no, that was that was not my permission to do it. Nice. But uh, but yeah, the treating her, and she was of course very worried about, and why did we start drinking like that? And she would ask the Lord, why, why, Lord? And later on in years, of course, later, way later, the Lord uh, gave her gave her the the answer for that too, that God was preparing us to help people that were helpless. Mm -hmm. And we could have never understand them if we wouldn't have. So he, he was letting you and your selfishness and your upbringing take you to a place that is not good that he doesn't want, no. but that he could eventually take that and redeem it yes, exactly. and use it for his glory. Yes, exactly. And that's he what works he, all things together. What, what the devil meant for evil, he. That's right. <laughs> what what was a mess became a message. Yeah. <laughs> So, so there you are, one week left to live, and you call the bishop, and what does he say? He comes in, and I was, I was uh, like in that corner, was my bed, and I was, I was laying in bed. Door was in that corner. He comes in, stands in front of the bed, holding his hand in the back, and asks me, uh, "What can I do for you?" And I told him the circumstances, and I said, "I really don't want to go to hell." And then he said, "You should have thought about that sooner. Where you're going, everybody knows." Turns right around and walks away. No chance for confession, no, reconciliation. No, no, he just right away turned. Uh, you know what? Uh, that sounds really bad, right? That sounds really bad. But you know what? It's uh, now I think back, and I totally and everybody that uh, will listen to that, I would, I would like to say to you, it is everything works for the better for those that love the Lord. Yeah. Even that point there, it was so hard, so painful. I cried. And I thought, how can it be this man of God would say that there is no hope? And uh, I needed it so bad. But uh, I learned one thing through that. There is no other way of salvation than the, through the Lord Jesus Christ. That's right. So the, the one hope on earth that you had is now gone. It's gone. It's gone. There was, and I had to learn it the hard way. That there's only one that died for human beings. Amen. And it wasn't the bishop, it wasn't, <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't nobody, it was only one that had died for the sin. And that is the most precious thing for me that I can. And the Bible talks about that cursed is a man that will trust in man. Mm -hmm. And I can totally understand what that means now. Amen. And that is so valuable to me. And, and even to preach now that gospel. And I always say this to people. I said to the people, I said, I will probably give you an occasion to, to fall or to cause you to stumble. But you have a choice. The same as I do. Stand up and walk and put your eyes on Jesus Amen. or lay there in the mud and die. Yeah. It's, it's your choice. I'm not going to pity you. I, I certainly want to help everybody. That's right. But I will not give you a false crutch. People come to our church too, and they're pretty excited about what they see happening. There's a lot of good families and some yeah. good preaching and teaching. Yeah. And I'll often remind them, I heard another preacher say it once. He said, if you're excited about what's happening here, stick around a little longer. You'll be disappointed soon. Yeah, yeah. So don't trust in us. We got nothing to offer you yes. except for what he, yes. he, who he is, right? Absolutely. 
So then what, what transpired? How did you get the gospel then? Well, it, it was, we, uh, we were then, at that moment, I, uh, in, in 1980, I was go go back there a little bit. It was my wife's birthday. At 12 o'clock, the bishop comes in in the house, uh, and he leaves like that. And, and I had a 38 handgun with three explosive bullets in it, and I was going to stick it in my mouth blow my brains out so my wife wouldn't have to clean me for the next week uh, or for two. the next week whatever yeah and i thought she's going to get over it and but i i, I don't deserve she doesn't deserve it. i don't deserve doing it to her and so anyways uh then i got paralyzed i couldn't close my eyes couldn't move a finger and these fill room fills up, up with demons right they're all blowing fire at me, and 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 I was breathing, and I was breathing that fire. It was just horrible, and the laughter, the mocking. You couldn't move, and I could not move. I could not scream. I could not close my eyes, not to see this. And so then, then uh, I I started hearing this voice. It started from for me that was from the from the west, no, from the south, an echo like in a mountain, to say that healthy don't need a physician but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And then in my view, I would look at the bishop there and my uh, and think, well, that's where the righteous is. And so it kept on, kept on, kept on. I must have heard it about 50 times, like an echo. Echoes on and echoes on and echoes on until it, on the north it uh, came up to there and it stopped. And then, and then I, I said to the Lord in my mind, said, Lord, if you give me another chance, I will serve you wherever, whenever, and whatever. Little did I know what I was saying, right? Mm -hmm. I wanted to renegotiate with the Lord a couple of times later, but <laughs> he hasn't accepted any renegotiation. Do you know where that verse came from? Like, you didn't read the Bible No, much. no, I didn't know. I, have, I had no idea. When I read that Bible, man, I just jumped around. That's, you know, the... <laughs> that's God spoke to me. <laughs> and for some reason, I knew that was God speaking yeah. to me, right? Because I then said, Lord, if you gave me another chance, right? And that's what things that You, you would have heard that in German, though. Yeah. Well, how would it be said in German? Okay. And that's what you heard. Yeah. And so, yeah, and, and so that. That that somehow it, it clicked to me. No, no, I, I there was quite a number of years where I had never heard the gospel. I never had any training. I wanted to be a lone rangers, to to the to the fan the the the, hope, the helpless list. So I would I would dress in black and wear this black cowboy hat, white belt, and then go back to the Mennonites and, and try to tell to tell them that God had changed my life. Didn't work very good. <laughs> Did not work well at all. I see. Well, but but uh, then then there was a revival meeting in Port Roven. Here in Port Roven, where the Satara twins were preaching there. But you, well, this happened in Mexico. When, when you, I got saved, yeah. Yeah. This is, but then we came here. Yeah, okay. that's right. Let's go go back a little bit. Yeah. Then we we my life got straight up. But this excommunication thing never bothered me a bit. You never got lifted. Never worried up later. Yeah, because somebody talked me into it that I would for their sake because I had a butcher shop and 
and I couldn't have any workers. Those that worked for me and they needed mm. they needed the job, they 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 were told that they couldn't work for me because I was excommunicated. It was all put this pressure on for me to try to I to see. try to get me back. Right? I think that's at least that was the. But so he then he begged me. He said, "If you don't do it for your own conviction, your sake, do it because." The only way that we have can provide bread on our table is is what I do here for you, and so then I did, I did, and I felt terrible when I did it. When I came home, I felt like everything was so far away. I felt horrible, but uh, but then I, I just then I then we came to Canada. Okay. Shortly after that, I worked, I worked for a little while in a cheese factory as a as a manager. And uh, but then my brother talked me into. I think my brother had already accepted Christ, and I think he saw that where I was, I would uh, not get any help, and that I needed to be out of there. And, and he had done all our paperwork to become Canadian citizenship. He came and got us, and then we came here to Canada. And then I, would, I still wanted to go to the old colony church, right? Because that's where I grew up. And then it was at that moment when the old colony church here split. Way oh, really? It was, was there in, in Elmer by somewhere. I don't know. This what is it. early 80s? Somewhere, yeah, early 80s. Okay. And, and then there was a couple of guys in the church from the leadership. They wanted to, they wanted to have a fight right in the church. And I thought, I don't want to teach my kids this stuff. So yeah. I thought, I don't want to. I don't want to come here, and that's when we started to kind of search for. Do you know Mr. John Bayman, older gentleman that goes to the Lighthouse Gospel yeah. now? I think he told me about that story. He was at. I think he was like a Fushtaya maybe. Oh uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, yeah. he said these these men were smoking, yeah. and telling him how awful he was for yeah. believing the gospel, and there was like <laughs> almost a fist fight and stuff. Yeah. So yeah. you would have been at that meeting. Yeah. And so yeah, then then I decided we're not going to go to that church, and then uh, I don't know exactly how that developed. Whether we went to church, my brother was always when there was some kind of meal, they would invite us. That he figured he probably figured I would not come to church unless you know there was something like that. And and one day I told him, I said, "Listen, uh, we have enough food." You want to just invite me for church when there is something special? Don't do it no more. Hmm. And so different church groups would come. And Yamaina Goddess, I remember that they we, the first winter that we were here, we it was really rough, and they would bring us food and clothing and stuff like that. And and, and I would observe them, and I thought these are the way you showed me. These are the, the crazy guys. These are the guys that are doing actually what Christians should be doing. Mm-hmm. So then I started to to not to do this barrier away, right? Where I was just and say, well, you could see that the old colony people were clearly not living. Well, most of them what were. They professed, <laughs> most and, of them. and when God raised you up out of that bed, and you somehow got over your sickness and you stopped drinking alcohol, at that time you still didn't really understand the gospel. No. No, 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 I didn't know. Just that worse that I had no other than that, no. But you turned your heart to God in yeah. some sense. Yeah. God, if you heal me, I'm going to serve you. And then I did start reading the Bible. Yeah. 
And, and I thought somebody had changed my Bible because my mom gave me one of the thick Bibles, big, yeah. big Bible. And most of the people back then had those. They were really big Bibles. And, and, and I looked in the cover and I thought, this is certainly not that Bible that I used to read. And then I would look, look in the cover, but my name was there. So it could not be in a different one. Hmm. It was still the same writing. And I thought, this is so weird because now I all, all of a sudden I see light in the word, right? Where it always was judgment and condemnation, yeah. right? Now that, yeah, and, and that's what I always got in. And even in preachings, I don't know whether they preached good news or whatever, but I always thought, and for some reason, going back, I was a very little kid. I had that admiration for ministers. I kind of, in me, I wanted to be one. And that before I got saved, at that at that point, before I started to have a drinking, even the, the preachers, uh, the bishop one day called me and said, it's too bad you're going the road you're going because we have an election coming up with a couple of weeks and we have you on top of the list for being part of us. Wow. And so I thought, me reading a sermon like that and not giving people hope, forget that. I, I can <laughs> imagine you preaching at Old Colony. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, especially now, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, uh, and and anyway, sad. That's uh, we came here to Canada, and, and then we started going to church. And our first church that we went to is consistently where we started serving. The lighthouse, it was not was lighthouse at that time. Was uh, Houghton Center? Uh, Houghton Center, yeah. Yeah. And we were there, we served the Lord there, the Sunday school teacher, maintenance. Well, I started off maintenance and went up back up to to uh, Sunday school, to adult Sunday school teacher. And at that time, we started with the Spanish, reaching the Spanish people. To, well, what we wanted to do is we wanted to get these people out of the uh, gambling halls and nightclubs. Because I thought this was so so silly. I went with them even after I was saved already, right? Back here in Canada, we'd go to bingo halls because they they they. I was a joker. I was a joker. I would tell a lot of jokes, right? And they 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 loved it. And they would pay me to my bingo cards to go with them, and, and then on our way, laugh about my jokes. And some were not very clean jokes because I hadn't grown up in. The, in the gospel, <clears throat> so then we started something. We were, we were, yeah. This was after that that revival meeting in with the Satara twins. Okay, right? yeah, I kind of interrupted you there. Yeah, the yeah. Twins. So no, it's fine. So then, then this revival meeting starts, and then I decided enough of walking outside the fence. It's all in or all out, but mm -hmm. I'm not gonna. I was no, no, no way of all out. There was that was not a question, but I was done with, with the halfway. I see. And I, I, I was going to live this life. And I was. Is that when you would say you gave your heart to the Lord, or when you first trusted Christ, or? Uh, uh, where God really did a change in me was was back then, was back then. Uh, I did, I did really. I mean, a big thing happened in me, and I could felt that there was a big cleansing in my heart, right? Yeah. But uh, I would always point back at my me, my be born again was was obviously done. And I said this 
because we had a black dog. He would hate me. The day I gave my heart to the Lord and when I said to the Lord, whatever, whatever, whatever I will do, if you give me that chance, that dog came, licked my hands, and I, I kicked him, and I, he would come right back. <laughs> what the hell was? Well, you said on Sunday that uh, animals often preach to you, right? So yeah. this dog was preaching so this to you. This dog was totally telling me, you're a different man, right? <laughs> I see. And so, yeah, and then, and then we started working here with that. <coughs> With these men, and we would invite whoever you know. Didn't matter whether what color or what race it would be, Spanish, German, and and come and what what we would do is we we had the Spanish music, gospel of course by this time. But the Sunday they have different styles in Spanish ranchera gospel where mm -hmm. the, the 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 style is still that that the lively, the but, really but, like, yeah. but the words are different. And we would invite them to come listen to Spanish music and then we would have some fellowship. And I said, is there going to be dance? Oh, yeah, sure. Yeah. I would just Whatever lure, it takes, come on in. <laughs> and I was, of course, I thought, you're going to dance to this music. And some of them, when they were a little bit of drunk, they would they would for a little while, but that didn't last very long. And they'd come, come down. And, and so that's where it started. We started. And you started uh, preaching to them. And, and well, yeah, they would uh, Spanish people. They would then ask that Mennonites would come one or two times, and then they wouldn't come anymore, right? Those those old that would go to that. But Spanish people said, "What is this? This is not the normal settings. What is this?" And then we'd read maybe a psalm for start or something. And they said, "What?" And then they started asking, "What does this Bible verse mean?" <laughs> I don't know. But I'm going to study. Come back next Friday. And I'll explain it to you. So I would study through the week. Hmm. These men give them an answer what that meant. Yeah. And they cut them growing and became a Spanish group. Wow. Yeah. And, that's and that was out in a Langton area too? Or? It was, it, no, it started, we, we were living close, actually here close to Vienna. Yeah. At that time. Uh, purple, close to Purple. <clears throat> that's where it would start in our living room. And, uh, and then the we moved to different, I think, at Bell Mill Church for a little while, and Hutton Center maybe a little while, then we rented the hall a little while, and we ended up in Luton. Okay. Yeah, and that's that's when we bought the property in Elmer, by, there by close to McDonald's. Yep, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, and so I, uh, I never wanted to be a pastor. No. In my heart, my passion has always been missionary. Evangelism. Yeah, evangelism more than 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 pastoring. But I said to the people, if you help me do my job, then I will do whatever I can do for you. And so I've been called a pastor for for many years, uh, probably, yeah, since here the Spanish church. They, pastor Henry yeah, Wall. Pastor Henry Wall, yeah, and still I'm called. But my passion is totally, my passion is, is mission and, and, and yeah. so this would have been uh, mid to late eighties when you established the church here. Yeah, late eighties. Late eighties, mm -hmm. and then um, then you started thinking about Mexico again, or what? Well, we would we would go do evangelistic services in Durango and Zacatecas, where we were from. Mostly among Spanish people. Mostly among Spanish people. Yeah, the Mennonites kind of just thought you were. Yeah, by this time. 
we we, we I think we found that our the effectiveness was a lot more among Spanish yeah than among Mennonites and Mennonites because I ha- I did back I got back and I got excommunicated for driving a van and and I still till this day. I will, I'm not. Uh, oh, I'm you got not, a second excommunication. I did. Got. I did. did. Well, what they told me that I was released from, from the from the old colony church, but they then later I was told that means the same thing. Okay. Well, and I thought, and I said to them when they came, they told me. I said, admire these guys, appreciate that, because I excommunicated myself from you two years ago. That I, I admire your patience. It was very obvious <laughs> that I was never going to come back here. Yeah. I made it very obvious, and so. But but in, in, in still at that, that position I have still today. Hmm. I, if you want to live that way, blessings to you, right? Yeah. But if you have to live that way, then I would say, even if the cage is of gold, it is a prison. That's right. <laughs> So your your connections in Durango and Zacatecas and stuff was that from the Mexicans that were here, and then you were going back to some of their hometowns to preach. Yeah, we we would uh, even with some Mennonites evangelical people. By this time, the gospel had come to Durango. There were some gospel churches in Durango. Mm-hmm. Those Mennonite pastors would go with us too, and then we would uh, uh, okay. Then we'd go to villages and start, start set up a platform on the streets and. And preach three evenings in Taiwan Town. Three evenings. people would come to hear. Yeah, a lot of people. A lot, lot of people. This is very interesting. We done this uh, in the later years. We did this in in in, in Patos area. Uh, we went to this town. Henry Thiessen took me to this town where it's, most of men are killed or are in the states or somewhere because it, there's just oh, as long as I can remember, there's always been a very violent. They're kind of in the mountains there. We went to that town, and I was shocked of how many people would come to the services. And we asked later, and they said the Catholic priest had told all of his people to go to the services. You go there, they seem to be very effective. Hmm. And the Catholic priest would have sent his members to come to our... I see. <laughs> yeah, that was interesting to me. But we'll that, take it, right? Yeah, yeah. Why? Well, of course, they would have... And, and I think that position is a very good position. It's not about building an empire here, right, or a denomination. It's building the kingdom of yeah. God. And, so and you can see someone else as yeah. being more effective. It's okay. Absolutely. Why? Why would I hold somebody, and then they would not go make it to heaven? Right? That it's would be. N- it's not like a contest where you're trying <laughs> to make Coke the most popular, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, you, you don't want Pepsi here. Let's keep Pepsi out. No, yeah. it's we're all trying to feed the yeah. people. And in, in, in the Bible, very clearly tells tells us that uh, God has got one church, right? We're different groups, but if uh, He's got only one church, He does. All true believers belong well, to one church. All true believers belong to, sure. to that church. Yes. So then you were back and forth to Mexico to Canada, Mexico to Canada. Yeah, all the, take uh, mission trips like a few weeks at a time or twice a year we would try to do that. And I was working still full time, and uh, I don't know how much time we have here, but uh, well, whatever it takes. Whatever it takes. Okay, well, I think some people will be really interested in it, and a lot of people don't know how we how we 
how that uh, can we do at Veracruz? Because we had no, I mean, there's no, no connection. No, connection. no Mennonites in Veracruz, nothing that we... But we were here already in the Spanish ministry. By this time, Mexican council uh, knew that we were very effective in, in bringing peace sometimes between laborers and bosses and, and sometimes with even the workers that would have a fight and we'd, we'd go there and, and be peacemakers. And uh, so the Mexican council calls us up and, and they said, we have a display in prison that is... Uh, that is uh, uh, is going to be in prison for a long, long time if he doesn't get any help. If I could go and, 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 and see if I could talk to him, because he wouldn't say nothing in his defense, right? Hmm. So then I went there and talked to him, and he did open up and told, him, told me what he thought had triggered this accusation against him, uh, but that he was not but he said it's okay it's okay i i'm fine it was a false accusation it was a false accusation and uh so that ended up uh when he was supposed to go back to court and be sentenced mexican council called me up again see if i could go to court and translate well that was a silly thing for him to do but because court will never have a translator that's not registered. And I didn't know that either, but they, they give, I found, they ran me down. I mean, they buried me almost. Oh, who do you think, who you, who do you think you are? And I said, Mexican council called me and said, Mexican council? we will call them in a bit. They will never do that again. They mm. know better. And so anyways, so I, uh, I sat there in the back of the court. I, I don't like courts. And so, but I was there to help this boy where I could and, and he didn't have a lawyer, just a current attorney was defending him. And the current attorney had spoken to me and asked him if I was willing to help him. And I didn't, at this moment, I didn't really know what the accusation was. And then so I got a, the judge asked me to come up there and read something to me, but I was zoomed out and didn't pay attention. I just thought, I'm going to see this guy in jail probably once in a while or whatever and, and uh, communicate to his family. That's what my perception was of him helping, helping him. So at the end, of the judge gave me the copy of the paper that they had made and says, you go sit in the car and wait for him and he'll be there in half an hour. And I thought, oh, who's going to be here? I thought he was going to jail. Yeah, who's going to be here in half an hour? So I go into my car and... Uh, read the paper and, and he was released under my custody for six months hmm. his his accusation was uh sexual abuse i have five dollars at home oh man and i don't know nothing about this then bringing this man home i prayed we prayed nights we were watching and prayed not for his soul <laughs> for the protection for the of your children. <laughs> my children yeah so we would go check rooms of my kids frequently and see the thing was if there's any suspicion if there's anything that looks odd you have to call the police within two hours if not then there's three years in jail and five thousand dollar fine for me right mm. within if i don't call it within two hours so it was at it was at about two o'clock in the morning 
And uh, I heard a noise. So I looked outside. We could see his room from our room. And the lights were on. And I looked and I looked. I couldn't see any shade that he was walking around or anything because sometimes from the light bulbs you will see mm-hmm. movements, right? And I couldn't see nothing. And I looked at the clock and I thought, well, I'll just time it and I called the police. And it was windy, but the moon was full, full moon. And one of the times the leaves were moving a little bit, I saw something under a tree and I focused and I saw it. And I saw that it was him on his knees with his hands in the air. And I said, in peace will I lay down and sleep because only you make me dwell in safety. But oh you God. got him, Lord. You got him, Lord. So I am told. He was out there giving his heart to the Lord. And in the morning, he told us that he had, had given his heart to Jesus. Hmm. Yeah, and so then through that, he would then, his parents would always call to our place. Was this in Canada? or Because in... here, yeah, yeah, we were living on number three highway at that point. Okay. Yeah, and uh, his family would call and of course to our phone and we would always answer so they talked to us for a bit and then of course then they talked to their son and, and so that kind of over the phone the, uh, built a little bit of a relationship there and they so were they were and the family were very yeah the family were very grateful that we would take care of their son right he was a great man He's, he could cook, he could fix cars. And hmm. He was just a very respectful boy, very respectful boy. And so then he started preaching to his family, right? He's sharing the Bible. You know, mom, dad, read this psalm at night, every night when you go to bed, read a psalm before you go to sleep. And so, and then when we, uh, we would already go, you know, like I said, we would go to Mexico preach. And we, at this time, we had had an invitation to come to Guatemala to preach in Guatemala. Okay. We were going to go to uh, also to Campeche and uh, to see, I have a sister in Campeche. And then we were going to go to Guatemala and and, and, and then we drive right by there, right? And they said, you drive right by here, why don't you stop? We have a free night, free couple of free meals. And and, and of course, with, with our traveling, we always was... We didn't never rented a motel. We always, always had some connection somewhere. Sleeping, no, most of the time you sleep in a truck for a bit. Oh, okay. Of room. And then sleep in a truck for a bit. And so, yeah, and then uh, uh, when we went down, we came there at 11 o'clock at night and we left 5 o'clock in the morning. So I thought, should I ask him? Should I? That's kind of rude, you know. It's just. So we drove and this voice comes into my heart and says, if they don't, if they are not going to be saved, that blood is going to be oh, off see. from the, off your hand. And, and it kept on in my heart and I was, I was, it was heavy on my heart. And then we had agreed that on our way back, we we're going to stop there for a day, for a whole day. And we did. And as soon as we stopped, when we came back, I thought, I'm going to get rid of this heavy load. We were probably at that 15 minutes, I asked him, if they would ever given, consider giving their heart to the Lord. And, said, and they started crying. They said, yeah, we were so hoping that you would lead us. Because their son had been that, telling them now. The and... night before we were past there. That's why I was so bad because the Lord had prepared all the ground and just needed to to be planted, right? And, wow. And so, yeah, they did. And there was five people at that time that accepted Christ. Then we did over the phone, what now, and so on. And then they said, no, don't make sense. Over the phone, it just, it just, 
doesn't sing and when you're here talking to us it's just so much better mm-hmm. so then we we they said what would it take for you for for you to come here and that i can that, that broke my heart so then we would would go once twice uh, a year a year i was working full-time and and but my boss was so flexible they would and said i had a phone call from mexico for how long are you going he knew immediately that and if I said I had a phone call from Mexico, there's nothing that would hold me back. I'd go and preach. I see. And uh, and then they would all do all of the the most precious what they did, kind of that, and then and do the junk of when I was gone, and just kind of take the best a few stuff out, which could probably make a good grade and all sell all the rest for pellet. And then when I come back, then of course I had to work. Then I really had to catch up again, but. But I was just blessed, and they would keep on pay, giving me my even my, even my paycheck or a couple of. So they kind of supported they you supported. while you were out on the mission yeah, field. Yeah, and so that was really neat. And then we would do that. First, we would just go to them, and then I said, "This is a lot of money to be invested." And then I told the people, "I said, go and go and find some pastors, see if we could do some evangelistic crusades in, at nighttime, different towns." Like the again platforms on the street, and mm-hmm. we do that there a lot. Set a platform, close the street for three nights, and and we have to get a permit, right? But that's easy to get. Okay. And then we set a platform up, bring music groups in, and and, and, and most of these people were either Catholic or didn't have an understanding of the gospel at all. No, most of the people uh, there was Christian uh, churches that would come and uh, supported to bring in. But no, we would preach to those that, to those that were in the houses, and, and we had, if you know, Mexican cultures, they have their always, they have these humongous speakers, and and they crank it up all the way, even if it's distorted a little bit, but it's got to be it's loud. Got to be loud, eh? <laughs> so you would turn your speakers loud with your microphone too, then? <laughs> oh yeah, they, oh yeah, it was my voice was heard. And your voice is loud enough as is. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, and, and a lot of people give it a hard to learn it. Uh, a few other, well, I'll tell you one of the stories that was just a little creepy story of one of those first meetings that I had yeah. there. And I would take all those that had been saved, would take them with me at nighttime to the crusades and then the daytime would minister. But we were in this town preaching, and there was a lady way in the back. She was doing all of these signs and, and, and faces. And, and I thought, that's weird. And, and then I, I, when I gave an altar call, I was done preaching, and gave an altar call. She was the first one came. Hmm. But then she came to, to these hisses like a snake and all kinds of weird stuff. Hmm. So first I go down. And I had I had two singers with me that that, that that I knew very well and and I told them, so we're gonna to stick together. And somehow they had wandered off somewhere else. So she comes walking up and I go down and I lay my hands on on her, right? She flies in the air, lifts up about at least a meter in the air, flies like five meters back with her head on the ground. And I thought, Oh, she's done. She, I thought you it, didn't. You did all. You did is put your hand on. Just her. put my hand on her, and and, and she was flying, and 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 then I went close to. I was more 
concerned about me now than about her because that, that oh she's got what killed. kind of power is this or mm. afraid that you had killed her something yeah I killed, yeah well, because I laid my hand on her and I never but saw that and so then I go close to her and then she got a tongue out I mean this like bigger than her mouth and this long and started flipping in foam came out of that tongue there it just black that time it looked awful we prayed and then ladies would come around and start praying and so go away second night same thing happened same woman same woman and then i already told my guys i said do we agree just we stick together so they came right with me and as soon as i lifted i hadn't even put my hand on her yet i lifted out my hand to pray for again she just lifted up in the air so and the, but then the, they, the devils were somehow yeah, controlling yeah. her right and then they, these guys caught her and they struggled they struggled they couldn't hold her but at least she didn't fall hard right they lead her on the ground and then and then we ministered to her we didn't i don't think that night we prayed for anybody else we just prayed for her and then ladies pastors women wives would come and minister to her and they had all night they had taken her to her church ministered through her uh, the whole night prayed for her she got free still in church today this day hmm. she's a first, but that, that she then she was the third night when she came she was mad at me says i had a lot of customers always and now i have no customers customers for what witchcraft okay she would she had powers she, she had witchcraft she was practicing witchcraft and so she was mad at me because now that phone function didn't work anymore. Okay. <laughs> well, but I mean, she didn't know the the, the truth yet. But uh, but uh, yeah, no, she's a she's a lawyer straightener. We've seen a couple of of those things in Tierra Nueva when they went the mountain. There's a switch doctor too that came to me and he said, "I'm going to destroy you tonight." And I said, "Well, if yours if yours is bigger than mine." then I will never preach the gospel again. There you go. But if mine is more power than yours, then you're going to accept him tonight. This sounds like Elijah. Was, up on the mountain. He says, that a deal? He said, yeah, it's a deal. And so he stood right in front of the pulpit. The whole service, while I was preaching, he stood there hissing and showing signs in the church, of course. Probably not got nothing out of the message, but they were praying, right? Hmm. They were praying. And finally, he just wore himself out. And I was pretty much too. I'll yeah. be honest. It was hard. It was hard. Because you're constantly being distracted. Oh, by yes. The distracted and find a feeling this force, right? Against me. And at the end, I was just kind of go up and walked outside. And, and so I finished my message. And then some sitting out there by a hydropole walked up to him and said, he said, So what do you think? Well, he says, Yours is obviously bigger. I mm. lost. So the deal that's still there, you're going to accept the one. You were able to tell him about Jesus. So he did accept Jesus there. So. Wow. Yeah. And so now, I mean, you've been up and down through those little villages and in the mountains and all over the place in that area. You got, said you had like, there's seven little congregations there now? Seven that we have started and then another one that is, well, another two that has affiliated with us. Okay. And there's just endless work still. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. There's, there's, there's lots, lots of villages still that wouldn't have the gospel. There's very few that don't have any. They, uh, 
there we were we are going to I'm not going to preach there but I'm going to support uh, in another village not very far from us and I didn't know that was there existed but that apparently has no gospel church we're going to do an evangelistic church or I'm going to support that evangelistic crusade July the 5th through the 7th that is going on there and, uh, and okay we do expect, and then there's a lot of fasting and praying going on already for that. We have a young couple from church, Greg and Bethany Clausen. They're mm. uh, training with Ethnos Canada. Okay. It's a mission organization that used to be called New Tribes Missions. Okay. Yeah, and so they would it. go to tribes that had no gospel, yeah, yeah, no yeah. church at all. And so they're training. They've been training with them for a couple of years now. Oh, wow. And then at the end of this season, I think in December, then they're supposed to be prepared to go and find a place to go and minister to. And they're leaning towards perhaps somewhere in southern Mexico. Oh. And so they're not sure where yet or well, where God might lead them. It would be nice to have them there. We have a couple of places where, where there's, uh, I mean, in this town, obviously, there's no gospel. There's, there's, that's still, uh, and, it's, uh, and then we have another couple of places there, way up a, a little bit up in the mountain. Okay. And uh, yeah, I mean, there's, there there's a place for it, but wherever God leads them, right? Yeah. Because we, we certainly didn't want, wouldn't want to misplace them. That's right. Well, they're a wonderful young family, six yeah. young daughters. Wow. And uh, just have a real heart to serve God. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. It's good. Anyway, I'm sure we could go on and on and on. Oh, yes. But uh, <laughs> how do people support you? What do you? What do people do to, to contribute to your missions? Well, you, you know, we have a little bit of, uh, we have a few people here in Canada that do a monthly, a very, it's a very small amount. We, uh, uh, we were supported by Lighthouse for until, and I, we agreed as soon as we would uh, get our pension, then uh, then we wanted that money to be able to go to some other young or somebody to to support them that they could have done the freedom to to not worry about their financial income as we did for so many years. Right. We struggled and gave everything. We gave every penny. For the mission that we had, and a lot of times, even our kids now, they 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 talk about where other people would have been fed, and they were uh, be left hungry. Oh boy! <laughs> so, I mean, they understand, right? But, but, uh, but, yeah. So, and that's what we do. We we do. We have uh, the, like trip like this. Uh, we can we can claim that as, uh, and as most of we do, we do. Uh, uh, very little other other support wherever we go. Sometimes God blesses us tremendously. We were in, uh, we were in the states. I don't know if I should say this, but uh, they blessed us with twelve thousand dollars. That was for our own personal use. They said for the mission we will do something else, and wow. and uh, and uh, and so we. So God provides one way or another. Oh yeah, no, we we have for when we thought it was going to be tough, we have never had it as good financially as we do now so you're not really necessarily looking for more support not necessarily not necessarily if we would get any support we would we would use that support to help other pastors that are struggling and okay. and then some needy people always come to our place and so is there a website or an email or anything like that that people can reach out to you and yep hope mission 50 at hotmail.com 
Hope Mission 50 at, at hotmail.com. I'll try to put that in the notes on the video uh, too. Certainly. And my phone number is in Mexico's Alhata uh, Bros. at 924-132-5760. Okay. Yeah. So, I'll write that down yet too and put that on there and okay. hopefully he'll get some more support. Well, uh, There's if, more work to be done. Yes, absolutely. And, and, and uh, there's pastors in the mountains. If you listen see this, there's pastors on the mountains. They live off 50 pesos a week. What is 50 pesos? It's like three, four dollars, three fifty dollars a week. That's <laughs> what they live off, and then they eat stukrit for the we used to call schwinskrit, pig that weeds that we would call pig, pig feed the pigs. That's huh. what they cook and eat, and and then off the fields they get their food. But but if uh, if there's somebody that would blow the love blast them, you could do it personally too. Come there, do it personally, or just even kids. Uh, well, I mean, I've got um, an 18-year-old and a 17-year-old daughter. You met them just a bit ago, and they asked me the other day, I'm off in the wintertime. Uh -huh. What would it take to go and visit them and see what this is all about, right? Uh -huh. So there would be opportunities for that kind of thing. Absolutely, absolutely. If, if you have anything to bring to them, uh, it can be a pair of sandals. A lot of people have. They buy, or, or just simply buy some packages of some food and package it in small package and give it go around give it to them and and that's this is what we do we we had a flood uh, in in, in uh, uh, last year in uh, tabasco next state from our state and we got some support and we would bag these bad these packages of food and would cleaning stuff we've been there before so we know what to do we brought it in there and, and God gave me a really unique uh, message for that. I said, this is what we bring you. They were so happy to get that. So this is what we bring you. It will last you a week, two weeks, whatever, and it will be gone. You've seen us and you'll forget us. Mm -hmm. But we are going to offer you another gift that's eternal. There we go. And if you <clears throat> accept that, he will never forget you uh, and he will be with you all yeah. the time. This is a simple message. And People were just crying. You could see that they understood just a simple, just a very simple, down to earth, some messages. It's yeah. kind of like the woman at the well. Jesus yeah. said, "If you would have known, you would have asked me, and I would have given you <laughs> right? water that would never run dry, yeah. and she, spring up." She was tired of getting water. Yeah. yeah. So people, people are receptive. So one more question, if you don't mind. You're in your early seventies. You should be just relaxed and retired. And drinking and why do you stay so motivated what's driving you well uh, for me uh, i have i am retired i put new tires on my vehicles you're retired eh? <laughs> i'm retired and i've seen uh, you know i think the most motivation that gives me is here and there you don't hear it very often but here and there you you hear that that, that I heard a gospel. I heard, I understood the gospel because you preached. Yeah. And, uh, and to see those life transformed, it just doesn't allow me to quit. Amen. And I, I, have a, I had a lot of back issue. I was on crutches completely. 
I want us to, and I did give up preaching. They invited me to come to Chihuahua and preach there, and I was on crutches. I couldn't stand to preach it. And then you remember, I didn't hear, right? That the sprinkle I did last time. I you, you were st- I was sitting, right? Okay, that's right. Yeah. So yeah. I couldn't stand it. And so now I can again. And so I, I, I said, I said, there's nothing, there's nothing in this world that I want to live for one minute. I have a lot of stuff. A vehicle, have you have four properties, house, small properties, houses, and there are crews. But there is none of none of the things that I possess motivates me to stay one minute longer on this earth. Hmm. And but but the only thing that I'm willing and want to live another sixty years, if God gives me the ability to keep on strong for another sixty years, is to to bring somebody that was like me that had no hope, bring them Amen. the hope. That's why we call it hope mission there was hope for there was no hope amen paul paul says it this way he says the the love of christ constraineth me it moves me i can't i have to right right and then this other passage paul says in first corinthians chapter 16 verse 13 15 he says i beseech you brethren you know of the house of stephanus that it is the first fruits of achaia and that they have addicted themselves to the ministry of the saints it makes you high yeah it's like I, i have to do more i can't stop now right So I appreciate it, man. It's such a joy to see that, you know, I'm now almost 40, turning 40 this year. And to think that in 32, 33 years, whatever, that I could still be passionate for the Lord and still want to serve Him. Absolutely. You will be. You will be the fire that I see in you and what you're doing. Uh, Different way, different the way that I do. I'm not good in technology. Uh, I'm learning technology. I'm not very good at it either. (laughs) But but I, I want to tell another story. Can I? Sure. Is uh, actually it's two stories. This is pretty similar. We we went with a uh, a church. I, I was also, as a translator. We went to El Paso, to, uh, Texas, and in, in Juarez, Mexico, okay. Juarez, Mexico. But we were in El Paso in the airport. That's where we landed, and then they were going to pick us up from and take us over to Mexico. This was back. Way back in the Desert Storm, I don't, I don't know if you remember that, Mm-mm. but the, the war in Iran, Iraq, oh yeah, was called the Desert right. Storm, and there's these these soldiers walking by and back and forth in the middle of a lot of people in the airport. There's always a lot of people, and these soldiers walking back and forth, and I thought, wonder where they're going, and and I had pretty much a clue where they were going, right. And so I thought, they probably have families, they have probably kids, they're probably never going to see them again. Right. So I had this real compassion. They were back and forth. My buddy beside me, he told me later, he said, he had prayed that they got, those soldiers would go away because I would embarrass them in the middle of the, all the people. And so I remember, and he told I just was, we met him two weeks ago. He told me another story that I had forgotten about that. But these soldiers go back and forth. And so then all of a sudden, I thought, if I don't see this again, that's going to be off me. And so I I said, Lord, send them back one more time. I promise you that I will go and talk to them. So they come just as my direct. They came right walking back, two of them. One didn't come back with them. 
So I walk up to them and I said, are you allowed to, to, to talk to civilians with me? I said, yes, sir. I said, uh, can I ask you a question? You don't have to answer if you can't, if you're not supposed to. It's fine. Understand. And he uh, says, can I ask you where you're going? I said, yeah, we're going to go to a desert storm. These were American soldiers? They were American soldiers, yeah. And I asked them, I asked them, have you considered that that's a possibility that you'll never come back again? Says 98%. Hmm. They said, do you know where you will be going then if you don't come back? And they asked me, what do you mean, sir? I said, well, the Bible talks about there's two places where us all goes to mm-hmm. one day night. And it's hell and it's heaven. Which one of those would you choose? And they said, heaven, of course, not hell. And I don't know where they would have known about it, but sure. they said, and they said, do you know that you can, how you can get there? And they said, no, sir. I said, would you allow me to pray with you so you can accept the Lord and make sure that you go to heaven when you don't come, if you don't come back? Yes, sir. Took the hats off, big spot on the floor, tears, everything else, except the Jesus Christ in the middle oh. of the <laughs> traffic in the airport. One other time we had gone to Mexico and I was really tired. I had preached three times a day in in seven days and and I was really tired. We were on our way back and and, and all these police, they're always stopping me. And and I thought, do I I look like a criminal or why do they stop me and let other people go? So I'm complaining in my heart, right? And all of a sudden the Lord asked me, why why did you come to Mexico? Why well, come to, pre- to preach the gospel? Preach the gospel, not to those people. Though. To whom? And then, <laughs> he asked me to whom? To the lost. What about them? I said, "Oh, Lord, please forgive me. If you next time, I will do that." And we had just uh, just driven probably half an hour since I had to talk with the Lord in my heart. In my heart, I talked to. Him. There was another missionary that went with us. She had gone to Bible school twice to learn how to evangelize them. And she was with us, an American from Michigan. And uh, so then we go on the road from this road onto a major road that leads goes, goes to Matamoros and there's a gas station right just about 100 meters off that intersection. And uh, and we stopped there at the, at the gas station we needed to fill up and there's this, and we, we were stopped again. There's about 10 guys right away surround me and asking me questions, where you come from. So I tell them, and then, so what do you do? What did you do? Preach the gospel. And so then a lot of guys came around and listened, right? This is a real different conversation that we have ever heard. So quite a few come around there. And, and so then uh, then uh, I got this message. And I said to them, I said, I thank you that you're here. You probably, somebody probably would meant to do me harm and you and disarm them so I can get safety to my destination now. But I'm going to tell you about this, a young soldier that did exactly that to you. There was somebody out there waiting for you to pass by to kill you. And there was a young soldier that disarmed that, those murder, that murder. And now you can, if you want to, you can save to your essence. I said, where did that happen? How do you know about that? We don't know. Where did that I said, in, in, in Jerusalem, mm. there was that young soldier. He gave his life for you. 
That's right. So that you can make it safe to heaven. She accepted the Lord. 17 soldiers give their hearts to the Lord. I give them a Bible. We have Bibles. So they set their rifles on the side and read their Bibles. And I thought, wow. if their boss will come now and see that they're reading their Bibles, I'd probably be in trouble. But you know, it was, there's opportunities everywhere. It's just, it, it is so interesting. I found it later so many times. People like that, soldiers, they know their life is on the line all the time. Yeah. And yeah. yeah. And, they're, and they're risking their life for what? For yeah. money, for a job, for yeah. a reputation? What is it? And so if they know yeah. then that they at least have a place mm-hmm. in the hereafter, yeah. then they can do it with some joy and yeah. conviction. Yeah, and then a lot of times we classify bankers here in town they're probably itching for somebody to to tell them the gospel because they have got perfume on whatever we think oh they're so much higher than we but the, in reality i have found out rich and poor they're all empty everyone needs jesus, <laughs> needs jesus. thank you brother thank you man it was awesome. it. god bless you <laughs>